This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Recovery Radio. My name is Steve Martirano. I'm with you every Saturday at this time talking about the disease of addiction and the battle, as a matter of fact, that's raging across the country trying to get a handle on this devastating disease of addiction. Recovery Radio is sponsored by Retreat, Premier Addiction Treatment Centers, and we'll have more about them straight ahead. Well, as is apparent to anybody who's paying any attention at all, the issue of substance abuse in general and the current opioid scourge has affected every aspect of our society. I think maybe none more so, or certainly from a, from a first position standpoint, than has the criminal justice system as a whole. The criminal justice system is, I think it's fair to say, across the board, undergoing a, a, a transformation in the way they think and behave with regard to the disease of addiction and substance abuse uh, across the board. The criminal justice system, of course, includes the police. The police have a front row seat on this problem, and that's what we're going to take a look at on this edition of Recovery Radio. To that end, we welcome Lieutenant Eric Wood with us. So, Lieutenant Wood, thanks for joining us on Recovery Radio. Good morning, Steve. Uh, Eric Wood has almost two decades now of a, of a police career, policing career. He is in Westport, Connecticut, and... Uh, we want to begin by getting to know your background, Eric, and give us a paint a picture of Westport for us, will you please? Sure. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me, Steve. Uh, so I started my career about um, 18 years ago with the Westport Police Department. I spent the majority of that time with uh, in the patrol division. Uh, recently, I've uh, transitioned over to the detective bureau, where I run the detective bureau, um, and we definitely have seen the uh, uh, you know this 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 issue uh, take hold take hold with us. Uh, Westport is a community of about 25,000 residents. Uh, it's a upper middle class suburb of New York City. Um, we have uh, major thoroughfares that go through town. We have two major railroad stations. Uh, we're on the Long Island Sound. Um, like I said, we're, we're upper middle class, um, you know, good schools, good family, um, and, uh, and just an all around good neighborhood, good good area to, to live in and, and be in well oh people in in, uh, the, in the northeast certainly people in new england uh know about westport connecticut it, it's it's fabled in uh in many instances uh, i guess paul newman's residency up there in joanne woodward who for years li- lived in westport um ha- have made it the, the kind of place that people know about for its affluence for its beauty uh for its small town feel in spite of the heavy hitters that live there. I mean, it, it, is it sa- it's safe to assume that Westport, Connecticut, would traditionally have been thought of as the last place in the world that something like uh, an opioid epidemic would strike. Is that true? I, I'd have to agree with you on that. Um, <clears throat> prior, to, prior to Westport, I, I worked for a major, uh, large uh, police department in the South. And like I said, I started in Westport about 18 years ago. So prior to that, uh, you know, we were dealing with it down 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 south where I worked. And uh, you know, when when I first got to Westport, it was uh, it was not something that I was expecting to see. I was expecting to see the normal everyday, you know, you know, 
high school kids and, and, you know, and, you know, not having a drug issue or, or the drug issues that we would have would be, you know, low level marijuana or, or, or stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, I, I can't, you know, it's very, very, uh, eye opening to see that, that the opiate and the opioid issues taking hold like they are in Westport. Yeah. And it's not taking hold on, on some peripheral, uh, uh basis. It, it's, uh, it's landed feet first in uh, Westport, Connecticut, hasn't it? It has. It has. We, uh, you know, we have, we have our fair share. You know, when you look at Westport, you look at the, you know, the, the, the big homes and the nice beaches and, and, uh, you know, you think of, you know, you don't think of, of, you know, having, having the issues that we have and the calls that we have to go on, um, of happening in Westport. Um, but you know, it is, it's happening and, and we've had to, you know, we have to, uh, handle it and adjust our our, our issues and, and adjust our responses and adjust how we how we think uh about it um but, you know for several different reasons yeah. but you know it's it's just it, it is definitely taking hold and and you know you don't you don't think of it as a you know you know heroin's not a, a you know a back alley a back alley issue anymore no no and, it's, it's uh, certainly isn't and the, and even if we want to consider it as a back alley behavior, the back alleys now are in some some pretty middle class uh, communities. Um, uh, Lieutenant, when did you, as as a police officer serving that community, first become aware that things were changing? You know, I think I think it really hit home um, when they started uh, when we started getting uh, when we started getting issued Narcan. Um, you know, we, 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 we would try to, we would look at it like it's, you know, we're, we're arresting people from other communities, you know, different larger communities around us that, that we, where you would expect, where you would expect heroin and, 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 you know, all that stuff to be happening. And when we started seeing stuff probably in the last, you know, five or six years, mm-hmm. um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that anymore. We weren't, we weren't, we weren't finding that people yeah, we'd have the occasional case of somebody from another community, you know, have an interaction with them. But, you know, we have, we, we you know, we're going to people's homes and, and you know, it's people that are, are living in Westport. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, Narcan, for for someone who, who may not know, is the, um, uh, the uh, drug that will reverse an overdose and very often save people's lives uh, in, in the instant that they're, that they're found. Tell us what the attitude of the police department, the, you know, the guys that are out in cars patrolling neighborhoods. What were you, what was the original um, attitude about the force um, being given Narcan? Was there a sense of, hey, wait a minute, this, this isn't what, what I signed on for. Is this what we're supposed to be doing? What was the attitude of the police department? You know, and I'm going to talk candidly here. Um, the attitude, and now it's changed, but the attitude initially was, why are we wasting our time and resources on this? Mm-hmm. Why, why are guys, why, you know, we can't give an EpiPen to somebody who gets stung by a bee without having a parent or somebody present to, to say, Hey, he's got an EpiPen and give it to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't need to get any kind of, you know, it's a standing order for us that if it's an opiate overdose, we just give Narcan. Um, so a lot of that started with why, you know, why, you know, this is, this doesn't make any sense. Why are we doing this? You know, why, why, you know, it's just, you know, they, they overdose them. It was their choice. It was their choice to do this. Let them, let them deal with the repercussions of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fast forward, fast forward, you know, three years, three years now since we've had it. And it's just, 
it is what it is. You know, we, we have it, guys use it, and um, the, the attitude, you know, the stigma of, of, of you know, the opiate issue as a, as a whole, um, I think is starting to, you know, guys are starting to realize that, okay, this is, this is something bigger than just somebody making a choice to, to, to shoot heroin, or right. snort heroin, or, or, do, or do something to, to ingest the heroin. Um, and so I think that guys have, and girls have this, have have started to realize that it's it's bigger than just somebody's choice. Yeah, you, which is which is good for us. You, you know what's interesting about it? You know, at at the at the foundation of what policing is all about is harm reduction. You you are there to serve and protect, and um, that that certainly has to do with uh, try, trying to you know help the community avoid harm or harm reduction, and. Um, Generally speaking, the the harm you're trying to prevent is people doing bad things to other people. Now, now you're getting to a scene as a police officer, and when it's an overdose, your first your first responsibility now is to reduce harm by saving that person's life. Th- that must have taken. Um, I, I can completely appreciate the initial reaction to that, and it's heartening to hear so many police departments, like the one in Westport, uh, having had that attitude uh, change. I mean, you're saving lives now, right? And 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 I'll tell you, when the guys first started first started seeing it, you know, we had this when we had the initial training, and we were, uh, you know, guys were, you know, didn't very skeptical how that this was going to work the way that they were saying it was going to work. That literally someone was going to be pretty much turning blue and 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 in the process of dying, and this stuff was going to be able to literally bring them right out of it. And uh, the first time that it happened, it really opened up guys' eyes. That it really it, it's saving people's lives. So, so now, in, in a place like Westport and many other police department jurisdictions, carrying Narcan is uh, no more unusual than your your uh, your firearms or your or your handcuffs, right? Correct. Everybody's issued it. Everybody carries it. Um, uh, promotes it. You know. They and and the nice thing about it and. and and we'll touch on it later. But the nice thing about it is that the guys carrying it, and you know, get to a, a get to an overdose scene, and maybe let's say the family the family doesn't have it, and the family sees sees it actually firsthand. Um, getting that Narcan into the home, and having people finally realize what's going on in this with this with this epidemic, um, gets them to the pharmacy to get some for their home, so they can get it even quicker than. Waiting for police. Yeah, I, I know that we're, so, we're we're talking about a sea change in a lot of uh, attitudes and procedures with regard to the opioid epidemic. Um, t- tell us in the initial w- w- when you were initially uh, required or, or trained to administer Narcan. What, what were the reactions to some of the families? I'm sure the overwhelming number of the people early on never heard of Narcan, right? No, people hadn't heard about it, and initially, you know, before police were carrying it. Uh, EMS. Now, EMS is a division of the police department. So every EMS call that that we would that EMS uh, emergency medical services would go on, um, Westport police respond with them as first responders. And initially, when we weren't carrying it, and the ambulance was, people, you know, families would be like, "This is this is amazing." I mean, obviously thankful. Obviously, you know, there's a, there's a whole range of emotions going on at these scenes, but. Um, very, very, very thankful and very, uh, very eye-opening mm-hmm. that there's something out there that can that can that can save somebody's life in this. 
Our guest on the telephone is Lieutenant Eric uh, Wood. Uh, Lieutenant Wood has been a member of the Westport, Connecticut Police Department for 18 years now. He has joined us here today on Recovery Ready to talk about the changing uh, role, procedures, and responsibilities of a police department in a town like Westport or in the town you live in uh, and having to change their procedures to confront the disease of addiction. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Steve Martorano is my name. I'm with you here on Saturdays talking about the disease of addiction. Our guest today from the Westport, Connecticut Police Department, Lieutenant Eric Wood. Lieutenant Wood has been describing how even in a a quintessentially upper middle class community, hard by the Long Island Sound, a kind of gold coast of that part of of uh, of the state, this disease, the disease of addiction, and in particular the opioid epidemic has utterly uh, altered, I guess that's a good enough word, the role of police officers in their their day-to-day job. Um, uh, Lieutenant Wood, in the community, uh, it's important to get them on the same page as the police, and and it would seem uh, that that, that's not exactly the role that police should be should be um, assigned with, but it's really been dropped in your lap. I mean, you are the often the first people that see these families when this crisis has occurred, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when we, you know, we get the call for for an overdose. Um, you know, you know, as we were speaking about Narcan prior to Narcan, it was it was pretty much, you know, we're going to show up. We're gonna we're gonna do what we can do to 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 help help the person with EMS, but then we would kick into the police side of it and we would do an investigation and we would be, you know, searching for what's left, what's, you know, what can we find? Was there any leftover, uh, narcotics? Are there any paraphernalia that's left at the scene? Uh, package that, you know, and then, and then prepare for, you know, arrest warrant because listen, primary role of law enforcement is, you know, criminal justice and, and, and let's make an arrest and it's a violation of, of our, of our general statutes for, for possession of, of the narcotic. Um, yeah, it's not so like that, it's that not role. it's not like you're arriving. You've in fact arrived at what I guess is a crime scene, right? Yeah, I mean, we you know, there's two there's you know, we go to these calls and there's two different there's two different aspects. Initial, you know, I'm I'm talking the, the initial mm-hmm. how how the how it was. Um, you know, the initial thing was EMS was there. We would help we would help save the person if possible, but we weren't carrying Narcan and EMS was, so we would let them handle it. We would talk to the parents. Now we're trying to talk to you know. Let's let's find out where the stuff. Where, where's where is the narcotics? Where does he keep it? You know, where's his car? Let's go search his car, his, his or her car. Let's go. Uh, you know, let's let's find the needles. Let's find the spoons. Let's find let's find whatever we can do to build our case mm-hmm. against this person. Because the only way that we're going to help this person is to get him out of the home and into jail. Yeah, and, you uh, you show up as cops, right? And and, and uh, you know that's that's a. Uh, an obvious reaction. That's what you were trained for. Speaking of your training, you know, you're 18 years in Westport and, and longer in, in uh, law enforcement. In your days of, uh, I guess, the academy, uh, you went to a police academy, I guess. Yep. Was there was there any training at all 20-some years ago with regard to uh, stuff like this beyond the traditional <laughs> police? The, the yeah, the only training we had was uh, heroin's a narcotic you can get arrested for um you know all the drug drug charges we would have a class on on the drug charges there's there was no training on what to do with with somebody overdosing or or recognizing the underlying factor of somebody overdosing or having having an addiction 
to a substance. You know, there were, that just wasn't part of the that just wasn't part of the training. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you say that this thing metastasized into a problem that the police had to confront head on, maybe five or six years ago. That certainly corresponds with the with the, op- the spike in opiate use and all of that. Prior to that, what was a typical day in, in your life as a police officer in Westport, Connecticut? You know, we we like like you said, you know, Westport's a is a, is a you know upper middle class uh, community that that you know has you know you know the, the quintessential you know family family environment. Um, you know, we we would we would go to calls, we would we would we would investigate crimes. A lot of the crimes were were being per- perpetrated by by people that live outside of the community because let's face it you come to westport and, and you try to break into a car or you try to you try to you know prey on a, on, on a resident in westport the odds of of coming away with something you know valuable were, was high um so we would we would handle that we would handle calls we would investigate all of our all of our calls you know our narcotics calls were mostly you know uh, motor vehicle stop initiated um you know canine calls and and you know narcotics cases that we would work from you know, in in typical law enforcement style uh, investigations, you know, you make an arrest for a narcotic, and let's see where we can go with this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we that 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 role is definitely changing as pertains to the opiate issue. I mean, we still have to, you know, technology is is unbelievable for us, um, and and we we use it. Uh, Five or six years ago, it was you know just coming into its heyday with with social media and and uh, and the open you know, how closed off the narcotic world was is now is now really putting it right in everybody's face. And let's 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 face it, you know, five or six years ago, high level narcotics were all felony charges um, in Connecticut, and and in the last couple of years now, it's 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 not decriminalized, but it's been the crime has been significantly reduced. Mm. Um, well, that's so one. We're of, not, we're that, not, yeah, good. No, so it's so you know the the penalty for for possessing you know heroin or cocaine or any of the high level high level narcotics is now uh, unless you're unless you have enough to to have a, a sale weight or or have weight to it, mm-hmm. then um, you know it's they're misdemeanor charges. Yeah, what's which the, don't carry any. What's the law in Connecticut with regard to someone who calls police during a overdose? And maybe they're using as well. What what harm uh, legally are they in, if any? Right. So so that that's one of the biggest changes we've had, and that's one of the biggest things that, that our guys have had to, to try to focus on is that you know they passed a law a couple of years ago where if somebody calls either themselves or for a friend or, or somebody that, that they're with even if they're using um there's no prosecution there's no criminal charge we can't we can't we can't make an arrest of the person or the person that they're with um for for the possession of the of, of the narcotics they're, 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 now they're referred to as good samaritan laws across the country right Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So it, it and it, and it really and it helps the survivability survivability of somebody in an overdose ish episode because now people aren't afraid to call because they're not afraid of being arrested for calling on somebody who's 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 overdosed, and it really has it really has I think helped that part of the of the community that that was afraid to call because 
oh no, you know, my son's going to get arrested if I if I call, or or my friend's going to get arrested if I call, or I'm going to get arrested if I call. Um, the only thing that changes a little bit there is if the if the friend is there and the friend we can prove that the friend is 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 a dealer or has provided the narcotics and the narcotic and the person and it results in a in any sort of any sort of death, then we can then we can potentially look at the at the friend if, if we can prove that they're they were a dealer. But but typically the Good Samaritan law allows for anybody to call on it you know in an overdose situation, um, and, and I and and that's that's moved to a point where. Um, we can, you know, if somebody calls us asking for help, like, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm either they, they call it because they're suicidal or they call it because they're, they're just sick and tired of, 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 of the life that they're leading and they call us for help and we go there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our guys are, our guys are, you know, nobody's looking to, to jam anybody, you know, they, they recognize what's going on here. And I think that's one of the biggest shifts now. Well, I want to, I want to pick up on that. We're, we're up against the break. I want to pick up on this because it, uh, it, it, it initially placed the police in a very peculiar situation um, with regard to this disease. But uh, I want to remind you as I do each and every week that the program is sponsored by retreat premier addiction treatment centers. Uh, and they are, they are known far and wide as among the leaders in the field of treatment for the disease of addiction. They sponsor this program. Obviously, they want you to know about them because they're proud of the people that they can help. But they sponsor the program as an informational tool. They, they want you to know as much as you possibly can about this disease because no one ever plans on it ahead of time. It, it just descends upon people, as uh, remarkable as that may sound. And they have to make decisions under extraordinary pressures uh, and uh, often don't know where to turn. So we give you the phone number for retreat and tell you they will answer your questions. They're not selling you anything. If they can help you, uh, they will, and they have helped many, many people. Here's the phone number, and we hope you never, ever have the need to call it. 855-859-8808. That's how you reach them. Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers. 855-859-8808. 8808. Our guest, as I mentioned on the telephone from Westport, Connecticut, is Lieutenant Eric Wood. Lieutenant Wood has been on the Westport Police Force for 18 years. He has over two decades of, uh, of a police career, so he, he knows what he's talking about when we talk about how the job of being a, a, a police officer has changed dramatically because of the substance abuse problem in this country. I want to get back into some of the uh, procedural things we talked about in the first couple of segments, uh, Lieutenant Wood, but just, just a moment here, too. In your career as a law enforcement officer, can you point to any other single thing that has changed your job as much as the substance abuse issue has? No. No, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I think this is, this is, this is definitely by far the the biggest issue that law enforcement as a community, as, uh, you know, communities are dealing with, I think it's the biggest shift, the biggest change, the biggest, uh, you know, problem that, uh, that we're dealing with. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, and, and I think like we'll get into, I think the, you know, that the, the thought process and the, and the thinking and how we respond to it is going to, is, could be, um, one of the ways that we get, ahead of this ahead of this issue um you, you mean changing the way you that, changing the way you think about being a police officer right 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 
Let's right. talk about that because just before we went to the break, you, you mentioned something that I, want, I really want you to expand upon. This notion that people are free now, relatively speaking, to call police in, in an emergency like an overdose and not automatically face a problem with the law because they may be using or in this, at the scene where someone is using. When, when that first became procedure and law, there must have been a very dislocating feeling for police officers who, who were trained uh, by their training and I guess by instinct to lock up right. people breaking the law. How, how difficult was it to overcome that? Like I spoke of earlier with the whole, with, with when we, when we first started with Narcan, you know, it was why, why, why I don't understand, you know, the, I don't understand why I got to do this. I don't understand why, you know, how, you know, this is a choice for somebody. Why, why am I going to try to do anything to help them? And as we learned in training and through what has come out about the opiate issue, um, you know, it, that, that thought process has changed. The same with this, with the arrest part. Um, we're no longer in, in, in the, with, the, with the opiate arena uh, having a, uh, we can't respond to it the same way because it's not working. It hasn't worked. It's not, you know, we're not locking our way out. Locking people up is not getting us out of this issue. Um, and so when it first happened, there was, you know, there was definitely some, you know, missed some, some questions and there was why, do, you know, why, you know, this, this is how it's going to happen. They're, you know, they can't be left at home because they're going to get, you know, just going to keep using. We got to put them in jail because that's where it's going to happen. Well, guess what? They're still using in jail and they're coming out and they're still, and they're going right back to where they're at. Um, their people are going to, to rehab and, and, and coming out of rehab and, and, and having relapses. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, our thought process has to change for this uh, and law enforcement and it is, and it's also changing in the community that we work in, that I work in, as far as, as how we address the issue as a community and as a whole. And, uh, and I think that's, that's the only way we're going to get out of this. Well, so, like so many problems that, that, that um, impact communities and society in general, uh, police are often the, f- the, the first ones there to see it. Um, the community may not understand the crisis that's at hand. And you guys are confronted with having to deal with this. I mean, across the range of things. I mean, cops have seen more domestic abuse cases than the most of the rest of us put together. So, so it's, mm-hmm. it came as no surprise to police that spouses were getting beaten up by their their husbands. Uh, the same now is true with this. And I hear you about you can't lock lock your your way up about this. How far out ahead of this were the police with regard to the community? We did you find yourselves in the oppositions of having to sort of explain to people what what. What, what the stakes were here, or, or did the community sort of say to you, you guys have got to help us? You know, I think, I think um, probably about two years ago or so now, I, uh, I got involved in um, some of the peer support groups in, in town <clears throat> with, with respect to this issue because um, there's, a, there's many agencies within, within Westport that are trying to, um, to, trying to figure out how we, can, how we can handle this. And I don't want to say that we were the forefront in any of this. I think we, our partnerships with, um, you know, human services and, and we have a community call, a, a program called Positive Directions. And, um, you know, what we've tried to do is we've tried to enlist uh, the young people in town. Uh, we've tried to incorporate them with, with all of our, with all of our, you know, we have tag groups. We have different groups that involve the, the youth because, we need to start this early. Um, you know, this stuff is starting at the high, at the high school level. Uh, you know, whether or not it's pain meds, 
transitioning into to heroin or whether or not it's just going into the medicine cabinet. It's all everything we see is coming out of typically coming out of the medicine cabinet first. Mm. And uh, that that really that kind of that kind of conversation with different groups had to be had. And like I said, the police department was no way, you know, we, we didn't see that. We saw it as heroin is, is a street drug and that's where we, that's where we got to handle this. This stuff is, this is, there's, this is a much bigger issue, uh, that we are seeing starting in the medicine cabinet. Mm. Um, and, uh, and I, and I, and, you know, I think that the big pharma has, has taken, you know, some steps to try to, to try to leave it. I don't know the whole, that whole side of it. Um, I do know that every time that I've gone to an overdose or I've investigated or I've read a report of an overdose, uh, nine times out of ten, it's it's it it starts with the pills mm-hmm. and trend and 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 progresses. There's and, an uh, there's an irony there that's uh, not 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 lost, and we should touch upon it in a place like Westport, Connecticut, because of their uh, their affluence and their access to to health care. Uh, I would guess that in general, that population is probably more medicated legally uh, than than your garden variety uh, uh, community. So. Do you agree that there there are more ticking time bombs in medicine cabinets in Westport that explain some of this problem? I think I absolutely I absolutely believe that uh, that that if you know but for um, you know prescription meds that are that are in the home, um, a lot of these kids that we're seeing would not be having the issues they're having today. Um, maybe it wouldn't be at home, but it's. It's, that's where it's all started. Yeah. And uh, you're convinced no, no, no gangs from the more urban parts of your of your state, New Haven or Bridgeport or wherever, were were trucking this heroin into Westport. This came out of nope. Yep, didn't happen that way, right? Nope, it didn't happen that way. It, it, that's how it's happening now because we, you know, Westport, you know, it's there's a big stigma with heroin still and with with an opiate addiction. Um, but you go to a you go to a, a, a very nice home in a very nice neighborhood. To an overdose, and the kid is overdosing on heroin or on fentanyl, and obviously that's coming out of out of out of an urban area because you know we we really don't have drug dealers in Westport, um, but um, but for the 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 prescriptions we, that that's the the likelihood of us having to go there previously is very is very low. Yeah, when you step back from this um, and look at a place like Westport. And see what what happened with regard to opiates. It's it's not so surprising that right. you know when it hit, it hit with such force. There was right. a lot. There are a lot of painkillers and a lot of medicine cabinets in Westport, Connecticut. Correct. Our guest on the telephone is uh, Lieutenant Eric Wood from Westport, Connecticut Police Department, eighteen year veteran of that force and over uh, twenty years on uh, police work altogether. Talking about the uh, profound, I guess, fundamental changes that he's seen in his career of policing with regard to battling the disease of addiction. My name is Steve Martirano. I hope you've uh, found the program uh, informative. Uh, I hope you found it all together. Uh, if this disease, the disease of addiction, is what we talk about, uh, has not affected you, I'm, I'm fairly certain you know someone who it, it, it has affected, or maybe you know someone who ought to be listening to this program. And if that's the case, we hope you will... Uh, we, you will mention us to them. Recovery Radio, Saturdays here at 6 o'clock, sponsored by Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers. We uh, want to thank again and talk a little more to our guest, Lieutenant Eric Wood of the Westport, Connecticut Police Department. He, he joins us to give us what is now an all-too-familiar 
a picture of how policing has undergone a dramatic change in not only in places like Westport, Connecticut, which is upscale and uh, and uh, middle class, but all all across uh, the board. Um, Eric, just this one point about the difference between your your job now as it was five or ten years ago. Um, you know, it, it, you worked in in places where where the problems were more pronounced a while ago, and certainly in large cities, like New York City, Philadelphia, places like that. Police, except with regard to specific procedures like Narcan and stuff like that, p- police in those big cities have been seeing this for a very long time. Correct. Correct. And and have, have and have in fact probably adjusted their policing just because of the facts on the ground, right? Correct. Correct. I think that we, um, I think big cities uh, have tried to have have been able to, you know try to adjust and try to address some of these issues just like you said on on their own because they had to because this was this this issue was was taking hold you know long you know before before it would hit these suburban areas like 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 i'm in uh and i just think that they had to out of sheer survival because you know there wasn't it was just it was it was going to take hold uh we're finding that now um that we're that it's that as we've spoken of it's it's starting to infiltrate our communities also and uh, and although I don't think it's out of survival, I think it's out of a need, and I think it's out of uh, just human compassion to try to help people mm-hmm. um, that we're that we're that we're taking different steps to to try and help and try to alleviate this issue. Which is, of course, a core value of of, of policing. You're supposed to right. serve and protect communities in uh, in crisis. So uh, let's talk about the, the the tragic scenes you guys show up at. With regard to particularly when it's a family that discovers someone who has overdosed, maybe for the first time or maybe from the fourth time, um, right? How has your role as police officers changed in the context of the family and what they're going through? It, do you do you have any anything to do with them other than to revive the victim and go about your business? You know, Steve, when we set this we set this uh, this meeting up, it was I don't know a couple maybe a week or so ago, uh, since that conversation, uh, I actually was at a call, um, for a young man who had left rehab, was home for about 20 minutes and overdosed. Um, we went there, we, we revived him with Narcan. He was sent off to back to the hospital. And, and as of now he's, he's, he's back in rehab and, and hopefully on his way. Um, that that scene four or five years ago would have been off to the hospital and you know have a good you know I, I wish you well good luck right especially with the family right mm-hmm. um, I spent a good um, I try to go to all the, my my role obviously has changed a lot with with the on the opiate side of this so I try to go to, to as many of these the, the opiate overdoses as I can because I like to try to get the word out to, to family um, but I spent a good you know hour. 45 minutes to an hour with the family trying to um, provide them different what what we can do what what's out there uh, they know that they know the straight inpatient rehab stuff uh, because they've lived it um, but I try to provide them with different what different things that we do now in in the Westport community um, to try to help them you know get through this and try to get try to try to get their their child back into a situation, into a, you know, you know, where he can, he can be part of the home life and be, be part of the family at home without having to worry about this stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
to that, we, you know, we, we've, there's a couple different things that we're, that we're doing. One of the, one of the biggest things that we're trying to do is, is, uh, partnering with, like I said, uh, positive directions and with human and with our human services and provide families with, with, with pretty much a resource guide for two reasons. One, uh, it's a very awkward time for an officer to be standing in somebody's kitchen when their son or daughter had overdosed or father or mother or whoever it was has overdosed and they're standing there waiting for an ambulance to, 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 you know, do what they got to do. Um, and not have any answers, you know, that, that hard conversation with a family where you got, where, you know, trying to tell a family what, you know, what you think you should do. If I can give, if we can provide our, our first responders with some sort of, uh, uh, pamphlet or, uh, a resource guide that to, to leave on the counter, uh, you know, that, these families have a million things going on in their heads when we're there dealing with this. And we can't spend an hour or an hour and a half with the family trying to walk them through different, different processes. Uh, so if we, can, if we can just at least leave something on the counter so that when they get home from the hospital or two days later when, when they're trying to figure out what to do, they have a starting point. And, and I think that, that we need to be able to provide, and this you know, it goes back to how, how law enforcement has changed, is that we don't, we're not, not only are we not locking people up for this in the home when they're overdosing we're we are we are really turning turning the page and and becoming some sort of like a, a not a social worker i don't want to say but but mm-hmm. a resource for mm-hmm. these families mm-hmm. to to try and try and get ahead of this because something's got to change and, and we got to try to we got to try to help them you know this is and we only got about a minute or two left here i mean this, this certainly as we've pointed out in this program changed the nature of what you do as a police officer, dramatically, do you, do you think it's made you, in general, a better police officer? Even though it's uh, stuff that you weren't training. You know, <laughs> police officers are in, in in you know by their very nature are very type A. This is this is how it has to be done. This is where it's going to be done. It's black and white. The law says this. The law says that. This 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 opiate thing has really made guys think outside the box a lot. Because it's not, it's not just, it's just not the same way of policing anymore. It's not the same way of, you know, lock them up, throw them away the key, and let's go to the next one. There's a lot of follow-up. There's a lot of hand-holding. There's a lot of, um, you know, partnerships. It's not just, we just don't do it by ourselves anymore. You can't do it by yourself anymore. Uh, we've, you know, we're trying to destigmatize the issue. We're trying to get out there for talk groups and, and get the message out and, and I think that's the only way we're going to try to get a hold of this and get ahead of this is to really have a lot of partnerships and have it open, not be closeted, mm-hmm. and and get people the help that they need. And start early. We got to, you know, the youth, we have to get a hold of the youth and let them know, you know, really give them a clear picture as to what, what this stuff can do. Lieutenant Eric Wood of the Westport, Connecticut Police Department, um, a r- remarkable story about how that uh, police department has changed. We, we certainly look around and hope other Police departments are undergoing similar changes. And and really thank you for your service and also for your time on the program. We appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. Take care, everybody. We'll see you again next week for another edition of Recovery Radio. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.